Welcome to the Off the Bench Podcast, home of all things sports here in the Central Valley. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod Off the Bench. Welcome back to the Off the Bench Podcast, Jason. Uh, we're going to get through this intro real quick here, and uh, it's going to be a little heavy on you today. I'm uh, struggling with my voice a little bit today. It's all good. All so, good. Uh, yeah, we're going to, you know, we'll get through this. Luckily, it's, uh, you know, preseason here, football. Nothing, nothing's rolling too much yet. No, we just had a couple, like, scrimmages and stuff. and Yeah, I saw a big, uh, big touchdown run out of the Clovis High kid, the yeah. running back. I think it's Tristan uh, Risley over there. And, uh, yeah, so just starting to see some highlight plays there. and uh, I know Clovis North scrimmage against Garces. Very nice. I know Garces is uh, they're athletic. Yeah. So, but yeah, so like really, it's just you know you have a little preseason football. You kind of things getting in the way. Um, some other than that, you know, Jalen Green. I'm trying to think. Jalen Green. You kind of they shut him down for summer league. There's no. They saw all they needed to see, and we're just gonna say he has a injury. Yeah. Quote unquote. And you know, Rockets saw exactly what they need to see. When you're the most dominant player out there in summer league, you're good to go. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it pushing. Let's see what other guys can do, what they can do out there. Give these other guys some opportunity, see if they can make this roster. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think once they saw exactly what they wanted to see out of Jalen, um, it just, you know, it was just time to shut him down and let some other guys get some more minutes. Yep. So dude showed out though. He had a couple games there and uh, he was really impressive. Yeah. And then, I guess really the other big thing is kind of the whole social media kind of getting somebody getting called out for uh, going with uh, baseball, the baseball world. And yeah, we don't need to uh, drop any names. No, nope, but if I think you want to learn about that, just go listen to the Hit or Dies last podcast. Hit Give them a shout out. They have a nice. Give some nice information on all that. So. Yeah, the uh, the Hit or Die guys put out a special episode on the, uh, you know, just a lot of a lot of Twitter social media controversy this last weekend over, uh, you know, in the high school baseball world yep. and uh, a lot of recruiting conversation and, you know, certain high profile programs trying to steal athletes from other schools. And, yep. you know, it was just a, it was definitely interesting, um, <laughs> interesting to hear and see how that all played out. But, uh, you know, first first and foremost, I'm proud of the kid for, you know, just standing up and saying, oh, I'm not going anywhere. No. Yeah, but, it's. It's whatever, like, it's, there's both sides of, you know, I understand both sides of the argument. Like, if travel ball, like, right, like, at the end of the day, like, I don't know how it is in baseball, but your high school team, for the most part, is not going to get you a scholarship. Playing AAU and travel ball is really where you're going to get your looks at, like, you're, that's where you're going to get most of your college scholarships from, is playing, like, and I don't know how that is in baseball, so... I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's whatever. What? Like, the smaller schools are always going to be the ones who are going to suffer you know that's that's and it's funny too you talk about you know that that was the hot topic this week was the you know the baseball world and all that but when you take a step back and look at all sports here you know you know we tend to focus a little bit more on basketball and i would argue that basketball has the worst as far as kids transferring around and no yeah like you you like i remember i was coaching at hoover like blatantly you have coaches who literally just text your kid telling them to come promise them things and it's and it's high school basketball, whatever, and it's like, all right, like, this is just kind of how it is. It's it's prevalent, but I mean, and we've seen it all in basketball. Yeah. It goes all the way back to 
you know, the Washington Union days. And it goes. Yeah. Like it goes it goes back to right. Like Memorial back in like the 80s, getting guys from the, you know, guys that kids who went to should have gone to Edison or, mm-hmm. you know, like Washington Union. Like it's just it's 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 always going to be there. Um, I think it's just, you know, you see the trickle down effect of professional sports, especially in basketball, where they create super teams like you see it in college basketball, the transfer portal. Everyone's transferring. Um, you see right the big time schools taking kids from smaller division one colleges or mid-major division one colleges you know like at the end of the day everyone has an end goal right if you're a high school athlete you're in goal i'm sorry to say like eh, winning championships is important but like you're trying to get a scholarship all right once you have that dialed in then you're probably going to care a little bit more about winning championships and it's the same thing right like in college athletics if you can play on a team that's going to help you get to the next level that's kind of what you're going to do you know like you know so i don't know it's it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. At the end of the day, parents are going to do what they feel is best for their child. And some parents feel like taking their kid to four different high schools is the, what's best for their child. So, yeah, definitely. And I, I think for the most part, we can all like, you know, see already when the kids in junior high, I already know which kid that's going to happen to. Oh, yes. You can, uh, can kind of pinpoint it. Right you right can right tell right. the parents a mile away. And I yeah. think every coach knows which kid you're going to be like, all right. This parent, this family is going to shop them and they're always going to try to go where the grass is greener. But those kids are also usually the kids that it's never the coach's fault. Mm. It's never my, my child's fault for not being this way. It's always somebody else's fault. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, it was fun this weekend, a little, little controversy there. So, uh, you know, and like you said, I, I don't have a big issue with kids transferring around. I would personally prefer if they made that decision in junior high stuck with whatever they chose whatever high school they chose to go to but at this point the cif has kind of abandoned all penalties for it for the most part outside of 30 days so there's almost no reason not to do it i mean kids are just going to do it you well, I, I just the cif was probably just tired of getting boggled down with that paperwork over yeah. you know and that's it, like you said like there's always going to be ways to loophole around and if, if that's what the family wants to do and if that's what they feel is best for their child then then so be it and mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day like you still got to compete and you got to play and but i'm I, I think at the same time like you give we put certain coaches on a pedestal that really at the end of the day like you got the best players in town so you should kind of be winning but mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day like it's it's whatever but at the same time like you can argue too about those coaches like man you got to deal with a lot of headaches you got to deal with a lot of egos and so it's at the end it's there's arguments on both sides. Yeah. So, but you know, if that's what the family wants to do, that's what the family was going to do. Well, let's, uh, you know, off the bench podcast here. We got episode 29 today. Does this guy have, he, the person where we, we interviewed Marcus Riley, he has to have one of the top three greatest hits in Fresno state football history. There's not many better highlights. Right, yeah, and it's a little sad now. That, I mean, rest in peace, Colt Brennan. Yes. But uh, I mean, this was just one heck of a highlight, right? Like, there's I, the only one I can ever think of. We've talked about it before. Just a straight hustle play the on the punt, you know? Yeah, the Kendall Edwards. Yeah, yeah. like I also, you know, like I'm not somebody who's followed Fresno State football, so yeah. I can't, you know, like I don't want somebody to hit me back. Like, hey, man, back in the '70s, we, you know, like, oh yeah, for sure. I don't, you know, like I don't know during the Jim Sweeney days. Or when I think about the big, like big hits from yeah. a, from a defensive perspective in Fresno State football, these are the first, those are the first two hits that I think of. Yeah, 
So if like Tim Skipper wants to come on and be like, Hey man, like I had some bigger hits or I know some people like, I would love to hear that. But for right now, like those are like in my mind, in my memory, those are like the two biggest ones. Somebody needs to reach out to Tim Skipper and tell him he needs to be listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I think Tim Skipper would have a lot of ideas yeah. about uh, some big hits that happened. But I think even Tim Skipper would agree that Marcus Riley's hit on Colt Brennan out in Hawaii was absolutely electric. Yes. So it was yeah. so big, man. Certain people weren't allowed to stay in the stadium. <laughs> it's true. It's, that was a good, was a fun story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun story. So really good talk with, uh, with Marcus Riley today. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun one. So, you know, it's always fun to talk to these guys and, you know, hear how they wound up in, uh, in a, in a bulldog uniform and he wasn't from too far away, but came nope. from the Sacramento area. And, uh, yeah, so it was really good to hear that story. And, uh, you know, he had some, some fam- family ties to, to Fresno State too, mm-hmm. so some some legendary Bulldogs. Yeah. So had to go through some adversity too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I had some injury issues there. So yeah, um, it was a really fun conversation. So you know, we're gonna get you get you right to it. Episode twenty nine, featuring Mr. Marcus Riley. Welcome back to the Off the Bench Podcast, Jason. We are uh, jumping right into football here, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. Um, it's you know, it's a time. It's a little you know, football's right around the corner here. Right around the corner. And so we're kind of making that transition, trying to you know get ready for the season. Yeah, get ready. Fresno State starts right at the end of August, so we uh, you know got some former Bulldogs joining us, and we're lucky enough today to be joined by former Bulldog linebacker Marcus Riley. How you doing, Marcus? Actually, it was whack defensive player of the year, I do imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. We just, uh, you know, want to hear the story and, uh, you know, hear about your football career. So yeah, I think there's going to be some good stories in this one. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so where did, uh, you know, you didn't grow up in Fresno. You, you weren't too far away, but where'd you go to high school? I went to high school at Elk Grove High, um, California. Okay. Elk Grove High School um, in Elk Grove, um, suburb of Sacramento. But I do have ties to Fresno, as my mom was from Fresno. Okay. That oh, played. Nice. Did that play a role in why you came, why you ultimately chose to come here? It definitely played a role. Um, I went to Fresno. We always, my dad was from LA, my mom's from Fresno. And so we would always stop in Fresno at Frosty's on <laughs> our way, on our way to LA. And it just became this kind of, this place where I'd known. And then my dad would tell me stories about how the red wave would come out. And everybody in town would wear red. And, um, and so I definitely knew. And my mom's first cousin is Henry Ellett. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. oh, Fresno State legend. Yeah. Fresno State legend. So it was there was definitely ties there, seeing Henry's name up, you know, and then knowing that my mom grew up with him, you know, it was kind of a surreal thing. Yeah, that's real cool. Now uh Elk Grove, there's some uh I gotta imagine some big time athletes that have come out of Elk Grove. There's been a few um big time athletes that come out of Elk Grove. We actually have six guys in the MLB right now. Wow. Um, playing Major League Baseball uh, currently. Okay. I, I actually um, in the majors? Actually in the majors. That's big time. Yeah. And then um, Lance Briggs came out of Elk Grove. Um, I know Fresno State fans are familiar with Ryan Dimwitty. 
Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. From Boise State. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he was an Elk Grove High guy. But, um, yeah, man, we had a few guys come out. Adrian Ross, Bill Cartwright, throwback. Nice. Um, so you're just yeah. uh, you're part of a long history there of Elk Grove success stories. I'm, I'm an extension of a, of a long history of success stories indeed. Awesome. Now, how was uh, how was how good was your high school team? We were pretty good. Um, I went. We went fourteen and zero. Um, as a junior, I went fourteen and zero. We won the section, and at that time, there were no state um, titles for California. But uh, we had a solid. We had a solid team. A solid program. I played with Oak Groves. You know, starting at ten years old, when I was junior peewees, and kind of staying with the stay with the same crew of guys all the way through. That's awesome. Yeah, 14 and 0 big time. Any of those other high school teammates go on to play college with you or anywhere else? No, they didn't. Uh well, you know, I, a couple guys that went to Sac State, um UC Davis, um um Gramlin, no other big schools. Um I think that there were definitely guys that could have went to bigger schools. Um it just didn't pan out like that. Did you play any other sports growing up besides football? Was football always your kind of first love? Uh, baseball was my first love. Baseball was definitely my first love. Um, I was fortunate enough to play in the uh, Bambino World Series when I was 12. Right? That was kind of the, the um, highlight of my baseball career. Nice. But uh, when I was 13, I played on a travel ball team, and I got hit in the back. I got hit in the back with a fastball with probably a kid that was um, – he was probably one of the best young pitchers in California at the time, but he was throwing mid-80s at 14. Oh, wow. And uh, hit me in the back with a fastball. And I could, I couldn't hit a curveball after that day. Right? <laughs> so, so my baseball career ended at JV. I was kind of like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just stick with football. Um, I have more confidence on that on that field. So, what um, what position did you play in baseball? I was a middle infielder. Oh, okay. So I played short. My my arm was a little sporadic. I threw sidearm, so I, they moved me from short to second, but. You know, I moved around a little bit in the middle. Turn those infield double plays, man. <laughs> turn them double plays. Hitting dingers. Hitting dingers. Yeah, That's I actually played against. I actually played against Brandon. Remember Brandon Miller? Yeah, the yeah, pitcher, right? Uh, the, the, the yeah, the Diamondbacks. Fresno State pitcher. Oh yeah, the Fresno State pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fresno State pitcher. He, um, I played against him when we were when I was twelve. Okay. In Utah, and then we met at Fresno State, That's which funny. is funny. Small world. Now what? Super smooth. You take him deep? <laughs> I did not take him deep at <laughs> all. You know, he actually he actually shut us down the first time we had played. He was playing for Clovis, and they uh, they shut us down the first time we played. Came around the um, losers bracket and saw Clovis again in the championship, and had to beat him twice and. Uh, we beat him up pretty good the second time around. Nice. Now, what uh, what year did you graduate high school? I graduated high school 03. 03, okay. Same year as Brandon Miller. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, did you, did you go to high school with Brandon? Yeah, Brandon's a year younger than me, okay. high school. Yeah, yeah. Same year as uh, Tyler Klutz. Klutz is an 03 guy. T. Klutz, yeah, I came in with Tyler. Yeah, you so. Guys, you guys want to hear a funny story about Tyler Klutz? Absolutely. I would love it. I can tell you a lot of funny stories about Tyler Klutz, <laughs> but go ahead. And I, bet, <laughs> I bet, man, I bet. I bet you could. Um, but, yeah, so when I committed to Fresno State, um, and, of course, the internet wasn't big in 03, um, but I saw the list of guys. You know, so I know that I'm coming in with another linebacker from Clovis. And I'm like, oh, this guy's big. You know, I'm looking at his measurables. And um, and so I don't know much about him, but we're about a week before we check in. And I'm going to a concert in Marysville. Right. So I think it's Jay-Z, 50 Cent, Buster Rhymes, all these guys at this concert. And... Um, I see these these guys I know locally from Sacramento. They're like, hey, there's this guy here. They, you know, he's saying he's going to Fresno State. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, why would he tell you that? You know, like, who is this? And um, and I guess they knew some of the girls he was with at the time. But next thing you know, I turn around and like, oh, there he is. He's got the wife beater with the bandana <laughs> with the bandana on. You know. And I'm like, who is this guy, you know? And then we meet, and he knew my name as well. And so it was kind of funny to see him, you know, meet him before we had actually came to Fresno at this concert that was super random. Um, but then we ended up being, you know, great great friends, and his family kind of took me in. I kind of went over there a few times for some of the holidays, um, him being a local guy. But uh, I was glad I was able to come in with Tyler. Yeah. It was kind of yeah, Tyler's yeah. a good dude. Um, yeah, good dude. Uh, actually, he actually used to be a pretty good baseball player back in the day. But in Clovis, you kind of have to pick sports, and he kind of did the whole football and wrestling thing. Kind of gave up his baseball career. But yeah, so we, I'm trying to think on those teams. So you played with like Jordan Christensen, uh, Matt Rivera. So I'm trying to think. Klutz. You had Spock. I'm trying to think what other Clovis High guys we had on those teams. I didn't realize Matt Rivera was a Clovis High guy. Yeah, he was a Clovis High guy. Yeah. He probably he probably got off at Clovis. <laughs> I need to see those highlight tapes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny um, that you guys wound up meeting in a crazy way like that. And then you went on to be, you know, two of the better impact players in those we defenses. Went on to be, yeah, man, it was fun, man. Me, we, uh, our football careers stay connected, man. I'm I'm so happy what happened with him. Um, we actually I actually played against him in the UFL. We were both trying to, you know, continue to play our pro, our pro careers, and he was with the Sacramento Mountain Lions, and I was with the Las Vegas Locomotives. And I remember he was asking me, he's like, "Man, how do I look at fullback?" You know, and I'm like, "Man, you're doing a good job, man. I'm proud of you. Like, I think you're doing good. Like, you know, because it was a new position for him." And then after this conversation I had, I mean, I think it wasn't. But a week or two later, he gets picked up by the Browns. And um, uh, I'm so excited for him. And two years previous, his mom was telling me, I think he was in back in Fresno working two jobs, working out twice a day, I think 5 a.m. workouts, and just keeping the dream alive. And, um, you know, fast forward to the UFL, he gets signed with the Browns. You know, I'm kind of I'm so excited for him. And then the Browns draft a fullback that year. And I'm like, uh, I'm like devastated for him because I just kind of know how the business goes. 
And I'm like, man, just keep playing. Next thing you know, he gets cut. A week later, uh, they try to put him on practice squad. A week later, the Bears pick him up straight off of practice squad. He's starting week one with the Bears. And um, I can kind of contest, like, the amount of work that he put in to get there. It was definitely deserved, you know? Yeah, definitely. We're going to have to... We're gonna have to get him on here too and chat at some point. That'd be fun. Yep. So, so Marcus, uh, let's talk about you know the recruiting process and you know coming out of Elk Grove and you know how did you wind up in Fresno? Um. Well, I didn't. I wasn't a big time recruit. You know, I was about one eighty five in high school, um, playing linebackers. So the schools that were interested, they wanted to move me to a safety position. Um. You know, at the time, he was recruiting Sacramento, and he was recruiting our running back at the time, who had ran for two thousand yards as a junior. Um, and they were recruiting him, and then I happened to have a good game. And so, um, I remember when they offered me, they told me they said uh, that they offered four linebackers, but they only got two spots. And if I took it, then you know, I can guarantee myself a spot or, you know, it might be gone when you get back. And so, like I said, I had already had previous knowledge of Fresno, you know, anytime I would see them on TV, you know, I was rooting for them um, just because my mom was from there and I had, you know, ties with Henry Ellard. And so when they started recruiting me, I was already a fan. And so it was kind of like, I couldn't believe it. I really didn't think that they would offer me a scholarship because uh, the seniors that I had known from the year prior, they had they had got recruited a lot, but nobody got a big time offer. And so a lot of the the word from them was, "Don't believe it. Don't believe the hype." You know, a lot of these schools are just going to kind of pull you along. And so I really didn't believe that Fresno State really liked me. It was kind of like, mm, you know. Well, they're recruiting me, but I heard that they recruit guys that they don't offer. And so I kind of, I wasn't really excited in a sense that I didn't think I was coming. And so, but when they offered, um, I took it, I jumped on it immediately. Um, and then, it, you know, at that time, then other schools started coming um, after I committed. And, uh, and kind of the rest was history from there. It's always funny, right? When you commit somewhere, other schools start recruiting you. It's always that nobody really wants to be the first one to jump into the pond. Exactly. You know, and I think, you know, a lot of times it's the, these college coaches, not that they're lazy, um, but they know who's doing their due diligence and they know who's not lazy and they know, you know, who's doing their homework. And so especially at that time before the Internet, um, you know, before the Internet, they didn't know who these guys were. They didn't know who I was. And so you commit to Fresno State. They're like, hey, where where'd they find this guy? Let's look into him, you know. And so you're kind of piggybacking off everybody else. So you you were saying like other schools were thinking about you playing a safety. Did you always want to come in at being a linebacker, knowing that you were only 185? Did you think like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be able to put that weight on? Because that's, you know, it's a big significant jump going from 185 to then, I think what you were like two twenty five, two thirty at Fresno State. Yeah, my senior year at Fresno State, I was two eighteen. Okay, and so I was always a smaller linebacker. You know, um, I was more nervous 
you know, I always knew I wanted to play linebacker because I just felt like I was more of a linebacker. You know, I remember trying to go out for defensive back as a freshman in high school. And that's when they moved me to linebacker and the coach didn't think he thought I was a better linebacker. And then after a couple of years, I was like, man, uh, I think I'm a better linebacker as well. And so I kind of, it, it fit me. And when they're recruiting me, it was important. You know, coach Mason kept telling me, he said that he was like, you fit our scheme. You know, you fit what we want to do at the wheel linebacker position. And it didn't make sense to me because at the time, Sam Williams was the wheel, right? And I'm like, yo, that guy is six five. Like, <laughs> how do I, you know, I don't, I don't play like him, you know? And so they're like, no, no, you're good. Um, but I was excited that they wanted me to play what I felt as though was my natural position. Now you mentioned you know. in that recruiting process, you mentioned a a, a legend and Henry Ellard. Your mom, you're telling us your mom grew up with him. Yeah, my mom grew up with Henry in Fresno. Um, you know, he had went to Hoover. My mom went to Fresno High and Edison. Um, but you know, my grandma and everybody, you know, my grandma moved from the south. They moved um, to Fresno, and so they're out there in the country. Um, and, you know, my parents actually met. My dad used to be in a bike club, right? And so, you know, Fresno would have the big biker event every <laughs> year, annually, that big biker event. And I remember telling my mom, I'm like, man, I drove by I drove by downtown. That's the event y'all was at? <laughs> you know, like, that's where y'all met? And so we had some laughs about that. But, um, yeah, man. So she loved Fresno, but, you know, my dad wanted to get out of L.A. and they decided they didn't want to be in Fresno. So Sacramento was the move. Before signing with like Fresno State, did you did you have a conversation with Henry Ellard or, you know, just kind of what to expect or just, you know, kind of have that, you know, find a little more insight about Fresno State or? No, not at all, man. I really didn't have any conversation with anybody. You know, um, Henry Ellard. Uh, my mom, they didn't have a great relationship. She always said Henry was super quiet, you know. So um, I had talked to a couple of Henry's brothers about just living in Fresno, um, Sam Lane um, and Ron Ellard. But I had talked to them about just living in Fresno, and they had said, you know, they'll take care of me when I came down. Um, and I had met Henry's son, Henry Jr., really – uh, just through AIM, instant uh, AOL messenger. <laughs> you're, you're dating so yourself had, a little bit here. Yeah, man. So we had <laughs> met on AIM, but I didn't even know who he was at the time. But um, I became close with his son. And then he actually, you know, became my coach again when I was with the Rams for a minute. So that was kind of a surreal moment. That's cool. Um, you know, but yeah, no, I didn't talk to anybody. My coaches were actually mad when I committed because they didn't know at the time hmm. Fresno was even recruiting me. And so they thought I was tricked into committing, not knowing that I really wanted to be there. Oh, you're talking about your high school coaches? My high school coaches at the time, because there was a change. There was a um, change of the guard. So after we won the section championship as a junior, um, our head coach, had resigned and so he had had an anxiety attack and decided he was too old and um 
the new coaches that kind of came in, they didn't know that Fresno was already in contact with me. And so when I committed, they were just kind of blindsided. And so they just wanted to make sure I made the best decision. Um, but they didn't know I kind of did my own homework. Mm. All right. So you, uh, you know, you, you commit to Fresno, you get on campus. Uh, what was what was that like uh, moving to Fresno and becoming a college athlete? Oh man, it was exciting times, you know. Um, becoming a college athlete, I remember my first day on campus. You know, we're meeting some of the the other guys, some of the other athletes, and uh, and I I I I'll never forget this when uh, I had met Marcus McCauley, and he's actually from Sacramento as well, but I didn't know him at the time and everybody was kind of asking what positions we played. And then when I had said, I played linebacker, they had just started laughing. <laughs> they just started laughing. Like what, <laughs> you know, what kind of linebackers, you know, like, you know, and, and you look like a cornerback and all these jokes. Right. And I was just like, man, like, is this too much? Are these guys too big? You know, everybody's bigger, stronger, faster, you know, I didn't know where I fit in. The other lineman, you know, I'm looking at Plutz. Plutz is coming in. He's lifting with the older guys. And I'm like, ah. I'm like, yeah, he's way stronger than me. And so um, it wasn't until we got there, got out on the field and I uh, started to throw my uh, weight around a little bit that I felt like, okay, I can compete and I can play at this level. What was your uh, first practice like? First practice in pads. What was your first, first practice in practice, pads? First practice in pads. You know, I don't know if I can remember my exact first practice, but I know I don't know if it was the first or the second day. Um, do you guys remember Claude Sanders? No. Do you guys remember that name, Claude no. Sanders? Okay. Well, at the time, he was the starting DN, uh, wore number 47, and he, and he was like a mean-looking dude, you know, like a big – mean and he had a, a deep voice right and so they called the young guys out to do walkthroughs and i think yeah this is like the second day of practice and we're doing the walkthrough we just go on the card and just walk you know we're really just walking through the cards and i remember i walked through the cards i was supposed to block him and i just kind of bumped into him and he's like you know giving me these evil eyes through his face mask <laughs> And he's like, you want to go? He's like, <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is walkthrough. Like, what's going on? He was like, if you want to go, we can go. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm literally sweating bullets. I'm just like, dang, do I like, do I really need to strap my helmet up? Like, and he's just looking at me like with his arms out. Like he's like, as I walk back to the huddle, he's still staring at me every time I look at him. And so they're like, all right, we're going to run the same play again. And I'm like, oh, no, like, what's going to happen when I go over here, you know? And so I'm just thinking to protect myself. And uh, as soon as I go towards him, he just gives me this big cheat, this big grin, shows all his teeth. He's just cheesing. He's like, oh, you were scared. And I'm just like, bro, like, why would you do that? You're like, are we on the same team here? <laughs> are we on the same team here? You know, so that, you know, I remember that from my first week. And then one thing I'll never forget from my first week of practice was probably the biggest team fight I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it was the whole offense. It was our first night practice. Um, I think it was Saturday. It was our first night practice. 
and Kyle Young and Dwayne Andrews has started the fight. <laughs> and the next thing you know, Logan Mankins is in it and D'Artagnan Shaq. And so now you have the biggest the entire, of big guys. The entire offense. Then next thing you know, the entire offense and the entire defense start fighting. And there's guys running off the sideline, you know, and I'm and on the only people that didn't move are all of the freshmen. And we're like <laughs> looking like we're like looking like what's like do we jump in? Like what's going on? Hold you know, on it's now. just like Marcus, I know one person who did not move. I grew up with my boy Jordan Christensen. I know for a fact he did not jump in on that fight and he was not no. a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> no. He probably for sure didn't I don't think any of the quarterbacks jumped no. in. Jordan might have went to Jordan might have went and got some more water. Yeah, Paul Vinegar might have jumped in. It, it, it literally, it wasn't a hundred percent of the guys, but for sure, at at the time, me being a freshman, it felt like the entire team was fighting. It was probably more like sixty percent. That's still a good amount, <laughs> but it, though. It, it was still, it was still a good amount where you're just like, I'm just kind of like my jaws dropped. I'm just like, you know, and, and um. You know, Coach Hill is cussing guys out. You know, they pull up Dwayne. Dwayne wanted to keep fighting after it kind of broken up. And so he said, all right, you want to fight? So he lines up Kyle Young, and then he lines up Spock, and then he lines up somebody else, and then he and Logan Mankins. And so he's lining up the biggest, toughest <laughs> offensive guys. And after Dwayne, he just wants him to go ahead and hit. And so after he hits the first guy, they're just like he's just like no nah, f this man I'm done and then <laughs> and then he walks off the field he walks off the field he just walks off the field and everybody's like oh like and I'm like after that first hit he was just kind of like no nah, you know I'm not gonna keep doing this over and over looking at the rest of the line that he has to go through yeah I'm, yeah, yeah coach I, I I think I'm good he's like no nah, I'm done man f this you know walked off. But that was uh, that was a funny time. Okay, so what would be your welcome to Division One football moment? Welcome to Division One football moment, where you realize, I like, think, hey, I, I I belong here. Um, well, I realized I belong. You know, it might have been. You know, I want to say my my first game. You know, my first game, and I don't know if this is this is a moment where I felt like I belonged, but it was it was definitely like welcome to welcome to college football. Um, but I started my first game was at Washington, right? And so you go out to Washington. My mom and dad I travel to the game. I'm getting the start. I'm super excited. And the first play of the game is kickoff. And I'm kind of like, I'm jumping up. I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know how it is. It's the first kickoff of the season. I'm like, let's go. I'm about to go down here and blast somebody, get the game going. Let's do it, you know. And so I'm waiting for the wedge because I'm kind of like the wedge buster. Oh, in this. In, that's not in what you want to be. That's not what you want to be. In the uh, – you know, I didn't mind. You know, I was young and dumb. I didn't mind it. I didn't. I didn't mind it in my young football career. You know, um, but I uh, was getting ready, and then bam, they kick the ball off, and I take off. And so I'm dialed in. I'm kind of focused in on the ball. I don't really see the wedge forming. There's a couple guys back there, but I'm running full speed, 
you know, and then here comes their like side wing guy, which who was also their starting fullback, Marcus uh, Tuiasosopo. Yeah. And I see him at the corner of my eye, and he's already about three yards from me, right? And I'm just like, I'm just like, uh oh, you know, like. And so next thing you know, wow, he hits me. I do like this somersault, <laughs> like where I'm like in the air. I like do it like a somersault in the air i hit the ground you know and i'm just like and i hop up and i'm like okay we're here okay this is college football <laughs> you know like, my first play i get took it off my feet and i was actually you know i started to run off the field and the defense is coming on and they're like what are you doing and i'm like okay i'm here okay <laughs> let's do it and so that was kind of like my first moment of like oh like hey, he woke my shit up like i need to <laughs> I need to, I need to be uh, with my head on a swivel out here. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, so that did, my, you, did you uh, did you start right away as a freshman, or did you redshirt? I redshirted. Okay. So I redshirted, and then um, I only started my redshirt sophomore year initially um, because Manny Sanchez was banged up. Um, he had a bad back at the time, and so I got to start. And so I started the first two or three games. Um, and then he came back, took his spot back, and then I eventually started by the end of the season, um, like the last two or three games. And then the rest of the career, it was your spot. Um, almost, you know, I think the next year, my redshirt sophomore year, which is, um, it was, it was shaping up to be my, um, I know I'm here. I know I belong here moment. Um, probably game was probably Hawaii was the week before SC. I just took the lead in tackles from Dwayne. And I was kind of like, I had, I finally learned the defense, mm-hmm. you know, because it took me a while to grasp the entire defense and really be able to just play football and not think about, am I going to blow this call? Am I going to, you know, so to, to finally feel comfortable in the defense um, and making plays consistently and knowing where I got to be. I'm not thinking about where I got to be. I'm just playing. Uh, was that sophomore year going into SC, and then I, you know, I tear my ACL, and uh, I kind of had to fight for my position after that. So then I really didn't get it back until my senior year. So um, that was an experience for sure. Yeah, how was that long recovery process there for the ACL? Oh, definitely a long recovering uh, process. You know, the the rehab for the ACL was just it was just uh, tedious, you know. And that was the first injury of my life. Um, I take that back. I broke my hand in high school, and I only missed, which was basically my senior senior night game. And I broke it in the second to last game, but I uh, it was my first time having surgery hmm. and kind of coming back from that was super tough. I tore my ACL and my meniscus. Um, I didn't make it any easier on myself. So as I'm coming back, you know, I'm preparing for my junior season and we're about a month out from camp and my knee is feeling better. I did stairs that day. Like we had ran stairs. I'm feeling strong. Um, I'm not doing much cutting on it, but at the same time, um, it was, it was, you know, I was back working out again. I was back with the team. I'm feeling good. 
and I go out to the club one night after running stairs that day. And so not realizing my knee is a little extra weak because it's, it's been pushed to limits it hasn't seen in, in over a year. And so um, E40 was kind of the, the height of the hyphy movement. I don't know if you guys, are, <laughs> yes. I don't know if you guys yes. remember those days, yes. right? And E40, Tell Me When to Go came on. And I'm in the middle of the club, and my MCL just went. Yeah. And I just hear, I hear this pop. I hear this pop. I'm like instantly sober. And if you can imagine this, right, I'm standing, I'm like standing with this stale face. Like I just ruined my whole football career. And everybody's just jumping up, dancing around me. And, and I'm just like walking slow. I'm like walking slow, just straight out the club. And I'm just like, I'm outside, just kind of hands on my head. Like, what did I just do? Like, what just happened? You know, I go into the training room. I lie about what happened. I'm like, yeah, you I don't want to be. Yeah, you don't want to be telling them I, I tore it up in the club. No, <laughs> no, I didn't want to tore it in the club. And so I, you know, I make up this story about, um, you know, I jumped off my bed, you know, because I had a, I had a, I had a high, I had a slave bed, so it was kind of high up. And so I'm like, yeah, I jumped off my bed and just turned the wrong way and just heard this pop, you know. And so you know how the trainers do they. They keep asking you more questions. They want more like details. More more, they want more details. And so, like, I'm just I'm just loading lie on lie, <laughs> like, lie after lie. And I'm, like, creating this full story. And I'm just like, bro, like, what am I, you know? And uh, I finally tell her the truth. And she's like, see, I knew it. You know, she's like, I knew it. It just didn't sound right. You know, and I'm like, uh. so, of course, the truth gets to Coach Hill. You know, he embarrassed me in front of the whole team. He's like, all right, now we got to wait even longer for Marcus to come out because uh, he was in the club. Getting uh, crunk. The Getting crunk. Yeah. yeah, he was like, he was doing the chicken wing, obviously. <laughs> that, that's the dance he said I was doing. But um, that kind of prolonged. So now, I'm, now instead of starting on camp on time in a month, which I was a month out, now I'm working with uh, – the trainers on the side, you know, as, as camp starts. So now everything is pushed back, um, dealing with my meniscus. Um, and it just kind of, it ruined that entire season. I really should have redshirted again. I should have had a medical redshirt my junior year. Um, but I started to try to come back and, uh, I'm wearing the brace. And as I come back, it was actually my, you know, this game, because in the first couple games, I only got, a uh, few plays here and there. And, um, of course, I'm trying to be back on the field, but I don't feel 100%. And so I get in one of the games. I go to make a tackle, and my knee just felt unstable. And uh, I took myself out. And Coach Hill was mad at me at the time for taking myself out because – the uh, the trainers had cleared me, you know, and that was the only little, you know, I felt like a sour point in our relationship because I kind of felt like, man, like if I tell you I don't feel safe or I, you know, my knee doesn't feel like, why wouldn't you listen to me? You know what I mean? Or why would just because I'm okay by the trainers, you know, you're just kind of like, 
throw me out to the wolves. You're like, I know my body the best. I know when I feel 100% when I don't feel 100%. No, yeah, totally understand. Exactly. And it's kind of like, man, like when I'm 100%, I'm giving the team my all. Like I've never been that guy to just kind of sandbag it, you know? And so I kind of took that personally. Um, he was mad that I took myself out, but it's like, you know, he was, he was more mad that we had got beat 77 to 20 something. You know, that was the game Hawaii, uh, Cole Brennan had ran it yeah. up on us. Um, and then the following week, I think we went to Utah state and, um, I wasn't too mad about not playing this year because ultimately we ended up taking, they ended up taking the dogs off our helmets, but <laughs> I, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember I'll, that. <laughs> I'll get to that in a second, but you know, the next game we played Utah State, and actually, I think it was their only win of the season. And um, I got blindsided by a wide receiver, by a wide receiver, and um, my knee was saved. It saved my knee was it hit the brakes, and so now I have a meniscus bruise. And so now my knee is is all banged up. And I'm dealing with a meniscus bruise, and I kind of, you know, I end up sitting majority of the rest of the season. I think I got a little LSU time, but it was like I only got into LSU because I was faking in practice, like I was good to go. <laughs> you know, it's just because I needed to go on that trip. I'm like, man, I'm going to LSU. Uh, but after that game, um. Coach was just like, yo, let's let's just sit you down and get ready for the spring because there's no use on you being out here on one leg um, trying to do what you can. And so it was, I played in four games, like a total of 20 plays, 25 plays. And uh, they sat me, and so I just kind of started rehabbing and preparing for the spring. And I kind of knew at that point it was like going to my senior year is kind of do or die if I wanted to continue my career. So we're talking that year, that that must have been the 2006 season, right? That was the 2006 season. Yeah, that yeah. was, I think, one of the, that was like the worst, one of the worst records in a while for, for the team. So I, I, what was it, like 4-8 and eight that year? Yeah, they were 4-8. and eight. Yeah, 4-8. and eight. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I, you know, and that was the year I think we had the most NFL prospects. Yeah, well, that whole defense seemed you like. Know, yeah, there was a lot of NFL prospects, but I think the problem with that um, is that that's where a lot of those guys' focus was. And it wasn't really about Fresno at the time where some of our main guys were thinking about the league and protecting themselves and not playing as hard. That was, um, that, was that team with, like, McCauley and Richard Marshall and – all those dudes in the second. Well, Richard right? Marshall, Richard Marshall had actually left okay. early. You know, it was the year before it was McCauley and Marshall, but that was a year. Um, it was just Marcus. Gotcha. It was Marcus, uh, Lewis Leonard, um, well, Paul, Paul Williams, Kyle Young, uh, Rashawn Vercher, sorry, senior guys. So what was that like that, uh, you know, when Coach Hill takes the dogs away, takes the, the helmet decals? Well, you know what? I personally, I I didn't play with no decals, so I can't tell you how that felt. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it felt bad. It was just like, you know, and I, I'm watching it from the sideline like Coach Hill. We just, I mean, we weren't like, we weren't playing. 
like Bulldogs. We weren't it 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 was kinda it was crazy to see, but it I think it was perfect for what the team as a whole needed moving into the next year. You know, because now going into my senior year, it's like, yo, we gotta earn these dogs. Like how you gonna earn them? And so it kinda it kinda lit a fire under us. You know, Tyler, you know, different guys, our senior year, um, we kinda wanted to take the ranks and kinda bring Bulldog football back in a way. And and play, you know, and just play and play and, and get that respect that we, we know that we deserve. Going back to kind of like your injury, right? Like you're coming off this ACL injury. You end up, you know, we're joking around about it now, but like, you know, you tear your MCL, then you, you know, you kind of get cleared, but then you, you don't, your knee just doesn't feel right. Talk about your mental mindset. You know, you've rehabbed all year, right? You then, right, you, you know, you're a starter, you're rehabbing, you're, you know, you're trying to go in for your junior year, then all of a sudden you get hurt again. And like you said, that whole year was kind of just up and down. It was kind of a wash, but the mental toll it had to take on you. Just talk about that. Um, it was a lot. It was definitely a lot, you know, because like I said, I had, before I tore my ACL, I had just got comfortable in the defense. Like, you know, the the weeks leading up to that, you know, and I was playing my best. I think the game before, the game before USC was my best game up until that point in college. You know, I had stopped a fake field goal. I had had like 13, 14 tackles. You know, I was in on like 20 or 25 plays. Um, and, and I was just feeling good. And it's like, you know, initially going to SC, it's like I had had, you know, of course you had that game circled the entire season. Yeah. You know, like I'm reading articles in the off season leading up about Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush and they're on the cover of ESPN. And, and I'm just like, okay, this is the game that I put my, like I, I get on the map, you know, and this is a game I'm like, yo, if we stop Reggie Bush, or if I smack Reggie Bush, or if I do this, like this is a game where it could change my life. Yeah, you know. And so I'm like preparing for it, like, and I waited my whole life for this, or like for this moment. And so, like, initially to tear my ACL during that game, it was heartbreaking. It was like, wow, like of all games, like couldn't be next week. You know what I mean? It had to be today. You know. Um, and so initially that was super hard dealing with that. And then, you know, and initially not knowing what it is. So I'm like, am I going to play again? Will I, will I play again? Um, and then going into, you know, and then, you know, the rehab process and all of that, coming into my senior year, it was really like a revenge season for me. You know, there were kind of chatters between linebackers that, you know, I might not be the same. I might not ever be the same again. You know, there were younger linebackers that are like, man, I'm going to take his spot. You know, he might be getting old kind of thing. Or, And then I didn't feel like I was getting the respect for my own program. You know, even Fresno State and, and, and Pat Hill in the sense where, you know, as a younger guy, you always wait your turn um, to be on the program or to 
be on the bus or to have your picture posted throughout the city. You know, you see guys that get this throughout their career, you know? And so it's like, those are goals that I have in mind. It's like, okay, when I'm going into my senior year, I want to be, I want to be the poster guy or I want to be, you want to be the face of the defense. Yeah. I want to be the face of the defense. I want to get that love. And so I, I didn't get that from any publications or anything, you know? And so I remember talking to, um, you know, Hodge about it because it was rough for him because we never got to play together, even though we came in together, a Hodge Lane. Yeah. And, you know, he tore both his ACLs on one play, which was a, a complete freak accident in the, in the scrimmage going into that year. But the conversation we had, he was just like, man, like make sure they're saying your name at the end of the season, not just at the beginning. And so, like, my whole goal was to earn respect back through my play. Like, it was like almost everybody forgot, you know, I was the only one. Me and Tyler kind of were the only ones playing as freshmen and sophomores. And so, like, that injury just kind of set it back where I felt like, you know, and, and you see that now in pro in pro sports. If a guy gets hurt, people kind of forget about what they did very fast. Yeah, they write them you off. It's, it's, so, yeah, it's, it's more about what have you done for me lately instead of, like, what have yeah, you done for me in the Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I was kind of experience, uh, experiencing getting kind of written off, and so it kind of felt like I, uh, I was starting from scratch, and it was kind of like I knew if I didn't ball out or have a great season, it would be my last year of football, you know, and so – I graduated already in that spring. You know, I was fortunate enough to become an art major. <laughs> and so that was like my funnest year of college for sure because now it's like I'm a senior. You know, I got no papers due because I'm only doing art. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I graduated. Um, that was a fun year. Yeah, let's talk about that senior year. You had, you know, what it – I believe it was that year you had a moment that I feel like you, you kind of became known for. Well, let's go back because really Texas A&M is – that has to be your coming out party right after that game. You had – like even though you guys lost, but you were an absolute animal. You were all over the field. And, you know, to know that, hey, I did it against Texas A&M, top 25 program at their place, like you had to be like, hey, I'm, I'm back. Triple overtime, right? Yeah. Triple overtime. Well, you know, I, I never felt like – I never felt like I let it, you know, I was proved to myself. I proved to myself that I was back through camp, you know, and there was a couple of hits that I had made and a couple of things where it was like, okay, like I'm back now. Y'all know I'm back or at least the team knows yeah. I'm back. Um, Texas A&M. I remember that being hot. <laughs> right? <laughs> we had guys on the sideline getting IVs and, um, and that was a great running offense. You know, I think they had, and two NFL backs in the backfield. Um, that big lane kid. Yeah. Javorski Lane. Yeah. I think right? I was like a fullback <laughs> playing running back. He was a monster. He was a monster. And the thing is, they put Gibson in early. And he was a quicker back. Um, they had McGee, Stephen McGee as well at quarterback. But they put, they put um, Gibson in early. And then they bring Javorski Lane in and run him in the second half. And he was getting five yards a pop. You know, he was just falling forward for three or four yards. And so 
we were on the field a lot that game. I think maybe over a hundred plays. We were definitely on the field, and um, and man, I wish we could have. I wish we could have won that game. But that was a fun. That was a fun game. It was a fun season. You know, uh, good times. Yeah, I thought we had it when uh, I thought I thought the game was going to go our way when I, I I just remember Devin Wiley streaking across the field catching that ball and you know making that big play at wide receiver. Yeah, he made that big play. You know, it the, it was rocking early. I think we went down nineteen to zero, and we were down nineteen zero, and we're like, "Yo, just keep fighting." It's Ben Jacobs' first game as a bulldog, and he's starting that mic. And I remember, uh, and he was a young freshman, but I remember him getting into it with one of the linemen and he's cussing the guy out. And I'm like, okay, Ben. <laughs> and I'm like, and it was kind of me welcoming, welcoming him, you know, into the defense. But, um, that was a tough L that we took. Definitely a tough L. All right. So let's go, let's go out to Hawaii, your senior year. You had a moment in that game. Mm-hmm. That was definitely uh, go ahead. D- definitely had a moment. Um, you know, what's funny about that moment is, is what it takes for you to get eyes, mm-hmm. you know, because here I was this whole year, there's no agents calling me, you know, I'm not getting looked at for any all-star games, you know, or anything. And I'm just like, man, like what's going on? What do I have to do? And then that hit happened. And then, then a whole next week, my phone is blowing up. And it's like agents are calling from everywhere. And I'm just like, wow, like, okay. Like, I felt like it should have been like this, but I'm glad you guys have noticed now or, you know, whatever the case. But, you know, I wish I was fortunate enough to, to get in one of the all-star games. But, um, yeah, that was a great moment, man. I was just trying to – we were trying to get off the field. I know he had just tied the record for most touchdowns in history or, or some record he had tied and we're trying to make a comeback and uh, it was third down. So I'm like, yo, we have to get off the field. Um, let's get off the field. And so when he scrambled, it was kind of those situations where everything lines up perfect, but it normally, normally quarterbacks in that situation normally always go out of bounds. And so I'm kind of like, I'm waiting for this moment, <laughs> you know, I'm running, I'm coming from the inside out. And, uh, in this defense specifically, uh, dying defense, I moved to the mic position. And so playing the mic, the middle in this, in this call we were in, I'm the first, I'm the first linebacker. Uh, if the quarterback scrambles, I get to run and go get him. Now that never happens. And so normally you always have to stay in coverage. And so me knowing that, oh, I can just go get this guy, you know, I was prepared. I'm just like, as soon as he left, I'm like, oh, let's go. You know, I've been waiting in practice. I've been waiting to go run a quarterback down. And uh, it just so happened that he really wanted to make a play. He didn't want to go out of bounds. And he turned in into uh, something he didn't didn't realize was coming. (laughs) He made a wrong decision. He made a wrong decision. (laughs) He made a wrong wrong decision, man. He turned in. And um, it kind of it, it lined up perfectly, you know. Um, R.I.P. Cole Brennan. You know, kind of sad uh, yeah. to see yeah. what happened to him. Um, but 
Yeah, man, that was a that was a great hit, great play. He actually fumbled the ball that they didn't call, but yeah, man, that was great. And I I didn't realize the magnitude of the hit. You know, I hit him, and I went straight after I kind of ran around. I went straight to the bench, you know, because after third down, you know, we come to the bench and talk about the series, you know. And so I come to the bench. I sit down. Everybody's running to me, and nobody's really coming. I don't even realize he's down, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just like, they're like, oh, man. I'm like, oh, that, was that bigger than the lot tech hit? They're like, what? They're like, yeah. like, And I'm like trying to compare from the season. And I'm just like, oh, he's still down? And uh, then I go over there. I take a knee with everybody else. You know, I'm getting cussed out from the fans. You know, they're calling me every name in the book. You know, I'm just like, what I do? And my dad, he's in the stands wearing the 31 jersey. And he actually lives in Maui. Okay. And so he came over for the game. And, um... He had to leave the game early because they were trying to jump him. Oh, wow. And they were like, yo, we see you number 31. We're going to get you. And, like, my dad was like, oh, man, peace, man. It's good. Like, <laughs> they're like, nah, F that. You know, these big target, big Hawaiian dudes. Islanders weren't messing around. Islanders were not messing around. And he told my dad, you know, he's, he's cussing at my dad and yelling at my dad while he's holding the baby in his hand. My dad's just like, all right, this is a different type of dude, you know. And uh, and he got out of there. He left me a voicemail. He's like, Marcus, sucks. I couldn't see you. You know, and then he like, he kind of moved somewhere else. And they're like, we still see you, 31. We're going to find you. You know, and he's just like, wow. My mom, she's out there. She checks. She's checking into a new hotel the next day. She's going to stay a couple of days extra. And the guy that's grabbing her bag, he sees all her Fresno gear. He's like, oh, you you're here for the game. Did you see that dirty hit last night? <laughs> Such a dirty hit. I can't believe, you know. So she's like, oh, no, I must have missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, you know, what's crazy about it is if that hit happens today, you know, it's getting reviewed and all this stuff. But oh, it, yeah, I'm it, really, it really was your shoulder. I mean, it was... It wasn't helmet to it helmet. Was it, was, it was it was definitely shoulder to chest. You know, he dropped his helmet at the last minute into the top of my shoulder. Yeah. But it was really, if he had never moved, it really would have went shoulder straight through his chest. You know, um, but, you know, it is what it is. And that was the year, uh, right? They were trying to crack into the, they were trying to, they were, they were the BCS hope, right? They were the, trying to be that oh. team who cracked the BCS and... Yeah, they did. They played it. They played. They went to the Sugar Bowl. That yeah. was that same year. I don't think he was the same after that. No. You know, but um, I remember getting on um, Ezra Butler, who was a linebacker at Nevada, and he ended up being my roommate in the UFL. And Hawaii had to play Nevada the very next week. And Hawaii still squeezed out a win, barely. I think field goal win at the end of the game uh, with their backup quarterback. But I had told my boy Ezra when he was my roommate, I'm like, man, I gave y'all the alley-oop, you know, to beat them. You know, you couldn't get the job done, you know. But it was good for the whack that they were able to go to the Sugar Bowl and play. You know, I just wish they had, uh, you know, played a little better. Yeah. 
and then and then and then I actually happened to be on staff at SMU with June Jones and a few of those guys. Oh, okay. that were on staff at that uh, with that Hawaii squad. So what was it like though? Your senior, year, you know, you not very often do uh, a Power Five school comes to Fresno State. What was it like playing against Kansas State at home? Oh, that was great. That was a great. That was a great experience. You know. Um, Going to Kansas State, that was a that was a way better experience. <laughs> uh, going to Kansas State because that was, you know, that's a week after my first game at Washington. You know, and then my first game at Kansas State, we're playing against Darren Sproles, and that was the first time in my life I was ever scared going into a game. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to tackle this guy. You know, you're watching. You know, he's a Heisman. Heisman candidate, and uh, we shut him down pretty uh, handsomely. But that was the day I realized you need team defense can stop anybody. Um, but it was nice, you know. Kansas State had came out there, uh, Jordy Nelson, you know, coming into Fresno. It was great to beat them how we did, and I kind of felt like Fresno State was back as a as a program after that win. Yeah, I always remember I was in the stadium that day, and I remember Jordy, Jordy Nelson making a one-handed catch near the sideline. I was just like, "Oh wow, this kid's this kid's special." Now you were in the stands that day. What what were you thinking on the first drive when they marched down there and scored on the first drive? What what were you thinking? Just like, oh, here we go again. Like, what's what's <laughs> what's about to happen? <laughs> I know. Hey, I was thinking the same thing, man. I'm like, that was just too easy. Yeah. Like, I think. I think they might have started off 14 nothing, you know, because they had marched down the score real quick, and I think they stopped us, and then they scored again. Yes. And no, it yeah, was so 14 it was nothing. No, it was 14-3. Clint Stitzer hit oh, a 46-yard field goal. Yeah, so, yeah, they had okay. two big – they gashed you guys. They gashed Fresno they State gashed. with two big runs too, which is never – Two big runs. Yeah. yeah, it was two big runs. We were feeling bad as a defense. I'm just like – 14-3, and I think the final was like 40-something to 14, right? Yeah, it was 45-29. You guys won. You guys, yeah. Okay, 49. Yeah, yeah you, it was 40. It was it was 49. It was 40-whatever to 14, I think, before yeah, they Yeah, because they, scored, they scored late in the fourth, you know, to make it a little more reasonable. Yeah. They had a big-time quarterback that year too, right? Didn't he go on to the NFL? I think that was Josh Freeman. It was Josh Freeman. It was Josh Freeman. I have a big baby face. <laughs> I remember him being, he was so big but it like in his helmet he literally looked like a little baby and I was like I'm like you look like a kid in his helmet but he's towering over me I'm like what what is going on so you uh yeah. you know you finish out your senior year there uh with a bowling yeah bowling right was that Georgia Tech yep well yeah, bowling yeah that was Georgia Tech that was a good way to finish getting that win on the blue turf Getting the win on the blue turf, you know we got a couple wins on the blue turf. It just wasn't against the it wasn't against the Smurfs. <laughs> was that the? Uh, I'm trying to think. Was that the Steven Spock game where he he made, he had that catch at tight end? No, that was that was uh, Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're that right. Was, yeah, yeah, that was a great one. But then that was a uh, Georgia Tech. Who did they have? They, Demarius Thomas. Demarius Thomas. Yeah, they had a couple guys. Uh, Wheeler, they had a linebacker too. Um, I think Calvin Johnson had just left. Yeah, or he was, or he was coming up next. He might have been a freshman. I don't know. No, yeah, Calvin had but just yeah, left. Yeah, 
but they had like Morgan Burnett um, on their defense, like you said, Philip Wheeler. They they had mm-hmm. some they had some dudes. Yeah, they had some guys, man. That was a that Jonathan Dwyer. Oh, that was the running back, right? Yeah, Tashar Choice. You got two NFL running backs. Oh right yeah, there. two NFL running backs. Yeah, they had Choice. Yeah, and they had their uh, Cox, their fullback went to. Oh the yeah, NFL. Mike Cox. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Cox. He went to the NFL. Um, yeah, man, that was a that was a fun game. You know, Clifton Smith did his thing. I was, I was happy for him too. You did your thing too. You led the team in uh, tackles and tackles for losses. How many tackles did I that game? Nine. Yeah, I said nine, and then uh, two and a half tackles for losses. Yeah, I was mad I didn't have ten. I remember that's why I know. <laughs> that's why I know. That's why I know I had nine. I was like, ten was my benchmark. I had to get ten. So knowing that, I knew I had nine that game. That was funny. So you uh, you talked about you know you had to have a big senior year if you were going to have any chance of going to the next level. Um, at what point did the NFL start? Did you start to think it was you know going to become a possibility? Um, I think I think when some of my teammates started to get opportunities when I was younger, and I didn't go into Fresno. You know, like I said, I wasn't highly recruited. I didn't go into Fresno with the mindset. Okay, I'm coming here for a few years, and I'm going to the league. Um, I always do. I was undersized, and so I didn't. I didn't know if it was a possibility. But I think that. Uh, I'm sorry. I think that um, watching my teammates get opportunities was my first chance at like, okay, like I might be able to get on a team somewhere. Um, you know. And that's kind of where it was from there. And so I think once agents started calling and I was able to win WAC Divas of Player of the Year, because normally when I think I deserve an award, I never get it. You know, like just in my football career, like high school, you know, youth sports. Like if I felt like I should have been the MVP, like uh, he gave me offense and then this guy got MVP or – you know, I just felt like I never got what I deserve. I was all city, even in Sacramento, I was all city second team two years in a row, you know? And so um, having the goal, even at a young age, because, I, you know, I didn't tell this story, but uh, I remember when Ryan Dimwitty won Offensive Player of the Year uh, for the WAC, and I saw his trophy at his dad's house. And I was just looking at the trophy, and I was like, "It was." I think it was after my freshman year or something. And I'm looking at the trophy, and I was like, man, I want to win defensive player of the year. And his dad was like, well, you got to get on the field first. <laughs> right? And I kind of chuckled a little bit, but I'm like, oh, you think I'm playing? You know, like this is, you know, this that's my goal. And so to win the, the actual win the award four years later, um, it was kind of like, so surreal for me because I set that out for that to be a goal and I achieved it. And it was like, man, like I know I'm good enough to play in the NFL now. Like, you know, I was, I won player of the year. Like I deserve a shot, you know? And so that's when I, I really knew when I won that award, it was kind of like confirmation. Especially too, with all the adversity you had to go through in between, you know, with the knee injuries and, you know, kind of having man, de- people write you off was- and, 
Because to me, it was like, man, like if I was healthy, I could have won this as a junior. That I mean, that's that's how I felt. You know, because I two believe times. two times could have been two play. time. Could have been could have been two time. You know, um, but it is what it is. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, yeah, that's when I felt that. Where's that trophy sitting right now? That trophy is sitting at my mom's house. All right, I like it. You know, she's got a nice little case set up with a couple game balls in it and whatnot. So let's talk about the pot, the you know the the process after Fresno State. You you finish the season. You guys won a bowl game, and then uh, you know how does it start going? How does the process go to potentially go to the next level? Um. So the process was it was a cool process. You know, I I wasn't getting too much love from agents, and I had a conversation with um, Coach Hill, and he wanted me to take his agent. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name now. But he wanted me to go with this agent, and I was like, all right. And um, come to find out, that agent's first client was Henry Ellis. Oh, wow. And Henry Eller that kind of put him on the map. Full circle. As an agent. Full circle, right? And so the guy's like, when he calls me, he's like, yo, I I have enough guys for this year. You know, um, Coach Hill wants me to take you on. And you're related to Henry, so I'll take you on. And I was just kind of like, oh, like, it felt like a charity case, you know? And I'm just like, man, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to sign with him. <laughs> you know, like, it sounds like he doesn't even want me and what doesn't want to represent me. Right. And I'm kind of in my feelings at the time. And I go with a younger agent who was all about me. He got me set up in Vegas um, to train and uh, work out, you know, in the condo. And I was kind of, you know, young and dumb and all into that stuff. Uh, not knowing that you're not realizing that he's trying to bill me for it. <laughs> you know, like I'm thinking it's all with the package deal. Right. Um, but I trained for the draft. I don't get drafted. I'm thinking I'm going to be Mr. Irrelevant, you know, because the Rams have the last pick of the draft and my cousin is on the staff and I know that they're looking for a linebacker. You know, and so we watched the draft. I got a suite in Vegas with my family, and we're watching the draft, and I am not picked. They actually pick a linebacker from Idaho, hmm. David Borbra. And I was pissed initially. I was pissed because I'm like, yo, he plays in the whack. I'm like, y'all, y'all picked him? You know, and I was just so mad about it. And they actually drafted two linebackers in the seventh round, uh, Chris Chamberlain and him. And I was like, I was, I was mad about it. I'm just like, man, the Rams drafted two linebackers in the seventh and they didn't draft me. Like, come on, man. You know, so. And how are they going to go to the, how are they going to draft a whack guy and not take the defensive player of the year? Uh, you know, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. Right. And I'm like, man, that'd be cool to be Mr. Irrelevant. Right. Uh, but anyway, so I get uh, my phone rings, the Packers call. Next thing you know, the Ravens call, the Raiders call, the Cardinals call. 
somebody else and I'm like, I got to make a decision in between like five minutes, 10 minutes on where I want to go. And I kind of bust out my little notebook because I've been taking, I've been taking notes on all the linebackers on who was where and where I thought I fit, you know, and in my notes on where I thought I fit, um, the Packers were in the top three. And one of the reasons why is because they can, they normally, and they often keep free, you know, um, free agents. Um, and then also the linebackers were on the smaller side, more athletic, which I liked. Um, and I liked that they didn't draft a linebacker. So it was like, okay, they didn't draft a linebacker. But then when I got there, I realized, oh, they didn't draft a linebacker because they don't need a linebacker. You know, they were like stacked. I was like, okay, this is the this is the real deal. All these guys can play. You know, I think all these guys are legit. You know, I'm a realist. You know, the other free agent uh, linebacker that they brought in, I thought he was legit too. I'm like, okay, man, this is this is gonna be tough. And so I ended up getting cut. I didn't even make it to camp. You know, they cut me before camp. I'm devastated. I don't get any film. I'm like, wow. You know, uh, what am I going to do? And so the Rams have a, a rookie linebacker go down in camp. They bring me in as a camp body. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to St. Louis? I'm like, wow, like, they didn't draft me, and I was mad about it. And now they're signing me anyway. So I'm like, all right, cool. And then when I get there, I'm I'm thinking that – Day one, I'm better than four of these guys, and I don't even know the defense yet, you know, and I didn't have that feeling in Green Bay at all. You know, I couldn't say it with confidence at least. Um, so I get started with the Rams. Uh, my first practice is a live scrimmage. You know, it's just live bullets from day one. And so I make a little splash at linebacker, and I can tell that they like me because within a few days I'm starting on all the special teams. So I'm like, oh, this is my shot, you know. And I just didn't play good enough on specials when I was given the opportunity. And so the linebacker coach, he had told me straight up, he's like, man, you got to get these other coaches to like you. I, you know, I only got so much pool. And I can only do so much. I can only, you know, I can only fight for you so much. And so I didn't make a big enough splash on special teams. And they let me go. Um, they let me go, and then I get I get to Chicago later on that same season, and I'm on practice squad, and I can't really do much in Chicago because the season is here. So they don't want they don't want guys that are reading cards to be trying to earn a position. You know, you're not trying to earn a spot. You know, it's kind of like you know glorified look at you, right? And so they don't want you running too fast or doing too much. I'm fortunate I get paired up with my guy, Lance Briggs, who had been, you know, an idol of mine since I was in the seventh grade. You know, I'm living with him. He invited me into his home. Um, he's taking care of me. It was it was definitely a, um, a cool experience knowing somebody who's already established. You know, he uh, made it cool with Brian Erlacher. You know, the, I remember the first meeting I go in, Right. And now when I was at Fresno State, I owned a Brian Urlacher jersey. Right. <laughs> so so it's kind of funny. You know, I'm like, wow, like here I am, 
And I actually only wore that jersey one time because I don't know why exactly, but I remember I bought a Brian Erlacher jersey knowing that Lance was there as well or just got drafted there. And I had this jersey and I only wore it like one time because I felt bad that I didn't have a Lance Bridge jersey. <laughs> right? How do you not have but the so hometown I, guy, though? How do you not have your hometown exactly. guy? And the guy who they, they, brought you in and everything. At least go once he brought you in, at least right? go get a jersey. And I got a jersey now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how about that? You know, but I didn't well they they weren't selling his jersey at Champs, all right? In That's fashion fair. <laughs> you know, at the time. But I um I go in there and then Brian Erlacher, my first day with the Bears, he just start rattling off these stats. He's like Marcus Riley, you know, Sacramento guy, El Grove High. Section champion, two thousand and one, you know, like all these random stats, and he's just like going through, and I'm like looking back, like what, like it's Brian Early, and he's like, yeah, man, I googled you last night, you know, I need to know who they're bringing in here, you know, and I'm like laughing about it, I'm like, damn, this fool's talking about googling me, you know, and so uh, that was a cool locker, that was a cool linebacker room to be in and uh, definitely a fun time being in the shy city. Um, but that didn't last too long, man. I, I ended up signing after the season a futures contract. And it's just kind of how shady the NFL business is. It's kind of give you a little tidbit right now. But I signed a two-year contract after the season ends. I'm excited. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to get back to camp and do my thing. Now, right after the season is when all the free agents signed. And Jacksonville was interested. Um, and I think Indianapolis was interested at the time. Um, but my agent was like, just resign with the Bears. You know, and I'm like, all right, that seems like the best decision. I'm here with Lance. I got a big homie. It's good to go. And uh, I stick around with the Bears. And then they ended up cutting me. Right before the draft, I think it was late March. I think it was like late March. I I signed a contract and I left the next day. So I haven't even seen them at this point, you know. Um, and then they cut me in late March. And it was just like it didn't make any sense to me on why they would do that. But they basically wanted to go a different route because now all the teams, they're all focused on the draft now. They're no longer signing free agents because the free agent period is kind of over for them. They've all shifted their attention to the draft. And I'm like, wow, so you would keep, you assign me and just keep me for these three months um, on purpose so another team couldn't sign me. Because if for whatever reason they get a young guy that gets hurt, they want me available so they can bring me back. You know, nobody in the NFL wants to be the team that signed a guy and then let him go and then he went and shined somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, he blows up somewhere else. Exactly. Like, they don't want the James Harrison story on them. Yeah. You know, so they do what they can sometimes to leave you in a position where nobody can sign you. So you are available. So now you are on their short list of four guys to bring in if we get a guy banged up. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like a weird scenario like that, but, um, you know, I did that. 
after they cut me and I kind of tried to call around, nobody was doing anything. That was the first year the UFL was starting up, United Football League. And so I went and tried out, made the team, Las Vegas Locomotives, won a couple championships, you know, and that was fun too. I mean, playing football in Vegas. Uh, these guys and uh, the Raiders going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> I feel like they're going to have a very strong home field advantage. Very strong home field advantage. You know, the thing about the thing about playing, though, in Vegas um, is you don't live in Vegas like you travel to Vegas. No, yeah, because most people live, like, in Henderson, the outskirts, and, like, they most people, yeah. they don't actually visit the Strip. You know, like, they don't. No, I would only go to the Strip. I would only go to the Strip. I would only go out, really either after a game or, you know, if I had friends coming yeah. into town, you know, and really if I have friends coming into town, I'm like in and out. I'm just saying what's up. And I'm cause I got to wake up in the morning or I got stuff to do. So it's like, it's still a regular city. You know, the thing is, is when you want to do something, there's always something to do. So yeah. it was always cool for us. It was like, we would have a game in Virginia or Florida and we're getting back. You know, we're getting back to Vegas at 3 a.m., you know, 4 a.m., and we're all on the on the, on the the plane, like, where are we going? Like, where, where are we going? We're going to Dre's you know, after we hour? We're going to Dre's yeah, after hour? <laughs> you already know. So, so we're going to Dre's. Yeah, let's go to Dre's early. Like, because if you go to Dre's at 4, that's, you're really going early. You know, so we're like, so we're like, yo, let's go to Dre's, beat the traffic. You know, we'll be in there first. And so it's like. And you'll go to these clubs and spots, and it's like, you know, it's almost like 11, 12 o'clock in, in, in any other city. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the party's just getting going. And it's just, that was always fun. But I definitely spent too much money living in Vegas. <laughs> what was it like, um, though, winning those championships, though, in the USFL? Um, oh, man, it was amazing, man. You know, uh, rest in peace, um, Coach Fossil. Um, Jim Fossil was our head coach. Um, and it was fun, man. It was fun winning those championships. You know, it was definitely professional football. Like, the talent was there. I didn't even start. You know, I played behind Teddy Lehman. I don't know if you guys remember that guy. But he won the Buckets Award coming out of college out of Oklahoma. And uh, and got drafted by the Lions, Detroit Lions. But it was good football. You know, I, I did it to get back in the NFL and I didn't get the looks that I thought I would get, um, you know, to get me back in the NFL. But at the same time, I had fun playing professional football. I made good money, made some great relationships um, and have fun living in Vegas. You know, like that was definitely an experience. Um, but I enjoyed it a lot. That's awesome. So let's, uh, you know, let's, Let's fast forward a little bit here. Present day, what's uh, what are you doing now? I see you got this uh, linebacker school thing you're doing. Yeah, man. Um, so after I was done, after I was done playing football, uh, my first job actually was was in uh, was at SMU. You know, my coach who had recruited me from Fresno State, he called me, and he was like, "Hey, I know you're still playing ball." This was after my third season in the UFL. He's like, I know you're still playing ball. I got an opportunity out here for you um, to come and coach and and get your master's paid for while you're at it. And I'm kind of like, man, I I don't want to coach. 
you know, at the time I'm thinking, I'm like, nah, I don't want to coach. Um, but if I can get my master's paid for while deciding if I want to coach, yeah, then let's do that, you know? And so I, um, I go to Texas and I have an amazing time. It's an amazing experience. I want, I now want to be a coach. Um, but then I have my son in Sacramento. And so I have a son in Sacramento. I'm like, man, I can't be the FaceTime dad. I got to get to Sacramento. And so I came back home and uh, I figured, you know, I got my master's. I got bachelor's. You know, how hard could it be finding a job? You know, and so uh, my thought process was I, I need to find a job now. And I couldn't get hired anywhere. And I'm just like, man, I'm either overqualified or I don't have the experience, right? And so, because I've been playing football. And so now I'm like, man, what am I going to do for money? And so I started uh, training these kids, man. I started coaching these kids. And um, I was, I fell in love with it, you know, um, fell in love with it, coaching high school football. And um, it became a way that I could give back all of this recycled knowledge that I had been poured into for the last 10, 15 years that coaches have poured into me and was like, you know what, I need to give this back. And so during the pandemic, I started a thing where I would do a Teach Tape Tuesday where I go live online on Instagram and I start going live every Tuesday night. I got guys tapping in from Germany, from France, from South America, from Denmark, from you know, Connecticut, all through the, the United States and guys that just wanted to learn football, you know, all through California. And I'm just like, wow, like this is, uh, this is pretty cool. And so I've kind of shaped my business to really train kids and coach kids from all over the, uh, all over the world. And I'm loving it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been fun. So kind of a little, just some quick hitters here. Just kind of. So, what were your? Uh, what would you say your five favorite stadiums to play in? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> five favorite stadiums to play in. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna go with Otson Stadium. Otson. Um, it gets loud up there. The Ducks. Oh man, it gets loud. It, you know, but it's amazing when you can quiet them down. <laughs> oh, it feels so good. You can quiet it down. But then when they start coming back again, <laughs> that's rough. So that'll be um, – that's up there, Austin Stadium. Um, the Coliseum. USC. And see, that one's up there. Um, LSU. Death Valley. Death Valley. That was – you know, and it was a it was a rainstorm, and so our our game was delayed. So it was like half the stadium was there, and it was still <laughs> they still one of the, they still, still in bad the, but it, it it was still one of the loudest stadiums I've ever heard, and half the people were there. You know, it was pretty crazy, but uh, so I would say those three, um, Hawaii. And mainly Hawaii for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> the stadium isn't all that great, but you always have a good time in Hawaii. You know, it's kind of bad. It's kind of hard to have a bad time in Hawaii. <laughs> but um, 
even if you lose. <laughs> but um, let's see. Last one, last but not least, I would say Texas A&M, College Station. Twelfth man. Twelfth man. That was definitely a nice week. Is it is it safe for your dad now to go to Hawaii football games if he wants to go back, or is that still? It is, people... I I believe it's safe. You know, <laughs> I, I think as long as he doesn't put that thirty one jersey back on, I think he's I think he's good to go. You know, I think he's good to go. That's awesome. Well, I want to you know I want to end here with one last thing here. I'm I'm guessing you've got some good Coach Hill stories. So you got anything you can share with us about Coach Pat Hill? Anything to share about Pat Hill? Man, okay, I got. I'm gonna go with this one, right? Since we were talking, I was just thinking about this one. We were talking about Kansas State and our visit to Kansas State. I decided to leave it out earlier, but <laughs> we can tell it now. All right, so we're at Kansas State. We had just beat Washington, and we have a 9 a.m. game, right? So 9 a.m. game, California. That's that's 6 a.m. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, actually, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was a nine a.m. game. You remember those games would come on so early? Yeah, I think it was two hours different. Uh, so yeah. probably seven a.m. It was a two-hour difference. So it's seven a.m. California time, right? And so seven a.m. California time, and uh, so your pregame meal is three hours before that, right? And so your pregame meal is three hours before that. So it's really. So we're talking about like 3, 4 a.m. 3, 4 a.m. basically, right? So we had a couple 4 a.m. practices that week or like 5 a.m. practices uh, to kind of like try to prepare. Um, But that morning, right, when we wake up, um, let's see, what time is it? So 6 a.m. So we're waking up like 5.30 is our wake-up call. You know, pregame meal is at 6 a.m. Right, uh, which is basically 4 a.m. our time. So we're we're kind of walking through, and we're all looking. We all look like it's 4 a.m. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, we're just kind of going through the the eating line. And Coach Hill is like, he's like, wake the f up, <laughs> and he throws his coffee. He throws his coffee on the wall like it splatters. Like I think it might have hit a couple people. Like he throws his coffee, tells everybody to wake the f up, and uh, we're playing an effing football game. You know, and I don't remember what he said, but he has some definitely has some choice words uh, about how sleepy we looked, and uh, I instantly was wide awake from that. <laughs> so that's a that's a Coach Hill story for you. Um, where he definitely, if he felt like you weren't ready, he was going to do everything in his power to get you ready. Sounds like he did what he had to do. Got you guys awake. Hey, he got us awake <laughs> and we got us a W, you know? Yeah, that's right. Well, man, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome just to hear the stories and, you know, go back in time a little bit. And uh, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Good luck the rest of the way running the show. That's all. I yeah, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Yep. Have a good one. Yeah. 
You've been listening to the Off the Bench Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod Off the Bench.